Good morning, everybody. Would you stand with us, please, as we begin to worship the Lord this morning in song? We're so glad to have you here with us today. So when I fight, I'll fight on my knees with 
here today. God is great. Let's thank our great God. What a great God we serve today. We, uh, we have a great privilege today to have with us one of our missionaries from along the border towns, Daniel and Rebecca Behrens. Um, we're glad that they're here. They're going to share with us just a little report back of what's been happening along the, along the border as God has called them there to minister. Rebecca grew up here in the church. She was Rebecca Boer, married Daniel Behrens, and the two of them went off into ministry. They had a nice calling in Florida, right? They were in Florida, and then they felt the tug on uh, from their heart. God called them to go over to the border towns. They're learning Spanish, and uh, it's a whole different lifestyle that, than what they had just a few years ago. So when I got word that they're going over and they're doing this, that God has called them to do this, I said, we're going to support you as a church. Of course, she's one of our own. Rebecca grew up here, so we're always going to support our own. But I'll tell you what, uh, she met, Daniel's a wonderful guy. They have a wonderful family, two wonderful kids. 
kids. And so would you welcome this morning Daniel and Rebecca Barons as they come up and they share with us what God is doing on the border. Good morning. Yes, my name is Rebecca. As Ken said, I grew up here in the church, so it's been really special to be back and see so many familiar faces and also awesome to see so many new faces too. Uh, see the church doing so well. Um, I um, It's just been a blessing to be here, and we're grateful to have the opportunity to share about what God is doing on the border and to come and say thank you, especially for your support through the Birthday Gift to Jesus offering. It's meant so much to me, especially having your support. Um, so we're excited to share with you this morning. Yeah, so my name is Daniel, and on the screen you can see our two girls, Sable and Darcy, uh, who were here earlier this morning. Uh, so we've been starting with a ministry called Trinity on the Border, which is on the border of South Texas and Mexico. We've been there for just about three years now. Before the pandemic hit, a couple of the things that we were doing were volunteering at a few local uh, short-term immigrant shelters, and then we also had a chance to serve as a chaplain for a free health clinic in our area. And then one of the coolest things that I got to be involved in was developing a weekly prayer service in a community of folks living in tents uh, waiting to ask for asylum in the U.S., uh, which you see in the picture there, uh, which is on the, on the Mexico side of the border. But when the pandemic came, what we were doing changed a lot. Uh, most of what we were doing wasn't really possible, at least for the few, first few weeks. But by God's grace, we were able to find ways to help out. Um, we were able to go back to the shelters, go back to the clinic, reconnect with the folks that we'd met in Mexico. Uh, we couldn't do services anymore. We couldn't gather people anymore. Um, but we started doing supply trips each week. We'd pull a little wagon with diapers and kids' activities and uh, Spanish Bibles to share with the folks we had gotten to know there. And we were always, yeah, we can go to the next picture that... Uh, that was one of our wagon loads there with a friend named Carlos from El Salvador. Um, and it, we never knew what we were going to find, but it, the Lord just gave us so many cool uh, opportunities to care for folks through those uh, trips. Um, on the next one, we can see uh, earlier this year, uh, things got really busy again on the border. And so we were able to help out at some of the short-term shelters again. Uh, this is a place called the Respite Center that's close to us. And we enjoy any chance we get to go there and help serve food, help serve water, uh, help families to get fresh clothes and medicine for their kids uh, as they continue their journey. One of the challenges that uh, we face in these uh, relationships that we're trying to have with people is that we don't speak very good Spanish. So we have these opportunities to be part of people's lives and oftentimes in some pretty uh, heavy times. But then there's always a wall that we would get to of like, ah, I, I don't really understand your story and I'm not really able to encourage you in a way that you understand. I mean, it's hard to even know what somebody's faith background is and, you know, if you're talking to someone who has no interest in Christianity or somebody who's a pastor in their home country. It's hard to know that when you don't speak the language. So after two years of that struggle, uh, we felt the Lord calling us into language school. Uh, we were able to move about 45 minutes away uh, to a school that's a Spanish seminary that also has a one-year uh, training program for missionaries to learn Spanish. So we're halfway through that. Um, on the screen, you can see we've really enjoyed the, the student body is made up of students from all over Latin America. So we get to have kind of an experience of the diversity that exists within Latin American culture. 
And these are this is a group of students in our home from uh, Chile and Bolivia and Ecuador and Paraguay. Paraguay there we go. And Finleyville. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just been a really rich experience for us, and it's great for our girls too. You know, they have neighbors from uh, all over Latin America, so we're enjoying that as a family. Um, so that's where we are now. We're halfway through uh, finishing up in December. So we're grateful for that foundation that we're getting, and we hope that it's something that we can keep building on for many years to come so that we can have deeper relationships and so that we can share Christ more effectively uh, with our brothers and sisters who speak Spanish. Yeah, the next slide is a picture of our daughter's table at her birthday party with some of our friends from all over. So it's really been an awesome opportunity for her, too, for both of our girls. So um, we're grateful. We just wanted to share a little bit about how the Lord is at work along the border, um, how the gospel is changing lives, and how we see him at work. And honestly, it is a little um, difficult. There's a lot of dark situations. A lot of people are fleeing their homes, fleeing their countries, um, leaving family behind. And then they often have trauma on their journeys, on their way here. Um, So they're coming very many times very broken, and then they arrive here and begin a really long and somewhat complicated process of trying to seek legal status in our country. So it's, um, it's a challenging environment, um, and so it can be a little overwhelming, a little depressing. So where do we see God? Where do we see the light of Christ in that darkness? And firstly, we see him... Um, in the faith of these sojourners. Um, This is Diana. Uh, She was a professor in Venezuela before she migrated. And she, when we met her, she was living in a tent on the Mexico side of the border waiting her turn to request asylum here in the United States. She had started a little school for the kids in the tent city um, so that they could you know, get some basic education while they were waiting. Many people waited there, you know, a year to, to, or more. Um, and so she started that. And via Google Translate in the next slide, she told us that she um, had lost her husband and that she was traveling alone, but that she trusted God, that he has special dealings with widows. And so her faith really encouraged us. And that's just one story of many we could tell of people who have such strong faith in their Lord Jesus and um, even in the midst of really, really dark situations. So that, that's, we want that kind of faith. Secondly, um, we see the Lord at work stirring individuals and churches to become involved in welcoming the stranger in his name um, along the border. So these are some new friends of ours from the seminary who came with us to the respite center in McAllen, uh, one of the shelters, and they were just deeply touched by the people that they met there. And they're excited to get other students at the seminary involved in just welcoming people, giving them a cup of water, giving them a meal, um, and serving in any way we can, just as Jesus would love them. So, um, and honestly, as missionaries, it's really humbling to go around and ask people to give you money and to support you. Um, but it's been so encouraging at the same time to see churches like LBC, to see our family, our friends um, eager to support um, us, our attempts, our efforts to be the love and light of Jesus on the border. And thirdly, we see um, we see Jesus in our friends and in the people that we get to meet, the immigrants we get to meet. Um, many times the immigrants are just passing through the area, so we know them for a very brief time. But occasionally people do settle along the border, and so we have the privilege of getting to know them, which is 
It's just awesome. So normally that looks like having them to our home for meals and helping them navigate the many challenges that come with being in a new country. Um, so these are our friends, um, Paola and Shalom. Uh, Shalom is holding the little boy there. She had to flee her country from political and physical violence, and that actually left her pregnant with her little boy that she's holding there. She named him, when he was born, she named him Emmanuel. So again, just another one of those people that encourages our faith that she could proclaim God's goodness in the midst of a horrible situation that she was fleeing. Um, Shalom has worked extremely hard. We've met her in 2018, and in those years, she earned her GED. She got her driver's license. Um, she is now working at one of the immigrant shelters and really doing well. We're so grateful. Um, you know, we, we celebrate these highs with her, and we pray through the lows with her. So much of our ministry is just being present and trying to remind these people of God's love for them and just, you know, being a tangible, verbal reminder of God's love for them. So, um, Shalom, her uh, court date, when it comes, she's hoping to be granted asylum here in the United States, but it's been delayed almost five times since we've um, since we've met her, and so it's now scheduled for March of 2022. So just some of those challenges that these people walk through, it's really, really humbling. The the situation in our world, the many dark situations in our world that have caused all this action on our border, it's really humbling and um, it really causes us to long for Jesus's return. For we, we find so much hope in the gospel that the Jesus who died on the cross for our sins, who rose victorious over evil and death, that he's not done, that his work will be completed and he will come back and all will be made right. And I don't know what we would do without that hope, and I don't know what our friends would do without that hope. So it's such a privilege to be a, a voice of that truth and to be reminded of that truth um, as we work with them. Yeah, so in closing, we just wanted to share a couple ways that you could become involved in this work if you're not already. Uh, the first is to sign up for our email updates. Uh, we send pictures and stories and things that we're learning every month or two. Uh, no promotions. We don't share addresses with anybody else. Uh, it's just us and what's going on in our lives. Uh, so we have a sign-up sheet, which looks very much like a sign-up sheet. This is an example. That's out in the, in the lobby, so you could put your name on there if you'd like to receive our updates. Um, another thing that we'd really love for you to do is pick up one of our prayer cards. We truly depend on prayer. We feel ourselves to be in a spiritual battle uh, all the time, and it means a great deal to us to know that folks are praying for us. So please grab one of those prayer cards and pray for the folks who are uh, seeking help at the border as well. Um, and then another thing we wanted to mention, by God's grace, our family, we are fully funded for this year of language school, which is just amazing. Um, so we are asking folks if they've, uh, if they're interested. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, we're grateful for y'all's part in that. It's quite a miracle. Um, so we are asking folks if they are interested to invest in the leadership development program at Trinity on the Border, the ministry we work with. Uh, that's what I was a part of for our first two years there. And our director is working on purchasing housing so that that, that program could be a lot more accessible to other pastors in training. So if you're interested in investing in that, uh, there's a website on the back of our prayer card, and you just need to put uh, housing in the memo field if you gave a gift. Well, it's really an honor to be here with you all to be back in Pittsburgh and have this minute to share. And may God bless you.
Awesome. Wait, what a privilege. Isn't that great? We thank God for them, what they're doing. The ministry is amazing. Well, guys, good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning, church. You guys alive? There we go. Thank you, God. You're alive. Awesome. I love it. Welcome online. Hey, listen, if we have guests in the house, stop by the Welcome Center. Please, we want to connect with you. We also want to give you something. Listen, we love our guests. We love our church. We love everything we're about. But just about what Daniel and Rebecca were saying, we are about the gospel. We are about Jesus Christ and having people come into a relationship with Jesus. That's our goal. That's our mission. That's what drives us to do what we do. And so I want to share with you a few things that are coming up. One, we have our car cruise every Tuesday, 5 to 9. Come on up. It's a great time. And then on July 12th through the 16th, we have VBS, our mega sports camp. Our theme this year is Heart of a Champion. You know, we want these kids to be champions, right? Most of all, we want them to be champions in their faith because we believe that these kids are going to reach their friends. They're going to reach families. They're going to reach towns, cities, states. They're going to reach our country. And so let's take the gospel to these kids. And so that's going to be the 12th through the 16th. And listen, the party doesn't stop there because on the 16th of July, we have another driving movie. Isn't that a cool picture? The kids were like, I think there's like this bee in the air and somebody was flying a drone. So we're thankful for the drone footage of this. And, you know, it's uh, always fun. But, yeah, come on up. Uh, we're going to the movie starts at about dusk. Um, you can start coming at about 630. Um, but it's a fun time. We're going to be showing the movie Tom and Jerry, the one that was just released. And so we're looking forward to that. But it's just a great time. Uh, just You can see there's trucks and cars and it's just it's just fun. You know what I mean? Like we need some more simple fun in our lives. So come on up on July 16th. Don't forget that whole week is VBS. And then we're going to end with July 16th. And then before that movie starts, there's going to be bounce houses and there's going to be all kinds of fun things are going to be happening that last day of VBS leading up to the movie night. So it's just going to be a whole day of partying up here. So we're looking forward to that. Also, I want to let you know um, that we have our church picnic on August 1st, as you can see, 1 to 5 at Palmer Park over there in Denora. So we're looking forward to that. We didn't able to do that last year, so we're looking forward to just having twice the amount of fun this year. So please mark your calendars. It's a special time that we do as a church family, um, and we'll be sharing more information to come. But please save that date, August 1st at Palmer Park. Guys, it's, isn't God good? All time. God is good. And so anyway, I just want to say thank you for your faithfulness and giving, you know, all the different ways that people give. We're just seeing God just do incredible things. And so thank you for being a part of, you know, what God is doing here. What a what a what a privilege to be a part of what God is doing. I mean, we're we're even being able to partner with Daniel and Rebecca and doing what they're doing on the border, reaching these people for Jesus in some of these really extremely dark situations. But what a privilege, really, truly, humbly humbling experience. So let's pray for them. And as we just pray over all that God is bringing, you know, bringing in through his faithfulness of his people, let's just thank God for his faithfulness and what he's doing. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Daniel and thank you for Rebecca and uh, Sable and Darcy, Lord, for their beautiful family. God, we just lift them before you and thank you for the ministry that's happening on the border. God, I think that so many of us um, have such a, a small understanding of what is happening in the world, God, because we see only what uh, we, we allow to influence us. But God, you are doing a mighty work. You are changing people's lives, whether we see it or we don't. And God, I, I think we always can have something to be thankful about. It's just sometimes we, God, we just don't, we don't see the things that you're doing. And so God, we, um, we thank you for just being with us now. We thank you for Daniel and Rebecca and their family. We thank you for the ministry that's happening, God. And I also thank you for the faithfulness of your people, um, as we give, uh, Lord, and give towards uh, the mission, Lord, the mission here. 
um, to see people's lives changed by Jesus. Um, so, God, thank you for this morning, and I pray over now uh, through Pastor Ken that as he brings the word that we would uh, just have ears to hear um, and hearts open um, to how you're going to challenge us and change us this morning. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Remarkable Jesus, as we've gone through this journey for the last 15 weeks already, just looking at how remarkable he is, we're looking at the word-for-word account from John Mark. He writes it down. It's through, through, the, through the eyewitness testimony of Peter. And so he's giving to us the life of Jesus. Remember, the key to this whole book is the very first line of the book. That Jesus is the Messiah, the good news, the gospel. So this whole book is about good news. So as we come in today, I want you to see the good news of who Jesus really is. Because the good news is that Jesus is not who you want him to be. He's who he is. See, if he was who you want him to be, then you could manage him and he wouldn't have enough power to handle your life. He wouldn't have enough power to do all the things that, that you really need to be done in your life. But, but if you make Jesus, if you understand who Jesus is, he's not somebody that you can make to do anything that you want to do. He's not somebody that you can fit into your box. He's somebody that you fit into his box. As we go on today, we see in Mark chapter 6 verse 1, Jesus left the town where he was at and he went to his hometown. And he he was accompanied by his disciples. Now, remember, we've been watching his ministry. He started out his ministry um, up in Capernaum on Galilee. Then he bounced across. He keeps going back and forth across the lake. So last week, a few weeks ago, we saw him. He was over in Gennesaret uh, in, in, in the area of the Decapolis, the ten cities over there in the Gentile region. Then he bounces back. Last week, we saw him heal Hill Jairus' daughter. We saw the woman with the issue of blood be healed. And today we see him. He now goes down south to where his family is, where to the town that he grew up in Nazareth. So he's accompanied by his 12 disciples. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. So people were hearing him and they're amazed at it. However, where did they, they ask him, they, they come to him and they ask him, where did this man get these things, they asked. What is the wisdom that he, that he has been given? So, so they, they have a lot of questions, like they're amazed at what he's done, but they said, where did he come from? What, what is this? What, what are the remarkable miracles that he, is, uh, that he is performing? What are these? Isn't this the carpenter? Uh, we remember him. Isn't he just the carpenter that, that grew up in our area? He knows how to fix things. And, and, and how about this? Isn't he Mary's son? Isn't this the son of Mary from our neighborhood? And isn't he the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon? Isn't that who he is? His sisters are still here. Aren't they still here with us? And look what it says. And they took offense at him. So they had all these questions and they took offense to Jesus. He comes to his very own own town and they have offense with Jesus. And Jesus said to them, verse four, only in his home, uh, only in his hometown, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. 
among his relatives and in his own home. So the prophet has no honor. When the prophet comes back to his own place, they remember him as just a kid who grew up down the street. He doesn't have much honor. His words don't mean a whole lot because they, they just don't understand who that he really is. A pro, and Jesus coins this phrase. And so as, as he leads this, what he's saying is, man, these people, they just don't get who I am yet. Verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And look what happened. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. When you come and you approach Jesus and you consider Jesus, there's a reaction. You know, not too many people have a neutral reaction when it comes to Jesus. Have you noticed the world that we're in today? If you name the name of Jesus, it's polarizing. Have you noticed that? And why is it polarizing? Because you can't make Jesus who you want him to be. If you want Jesus to be Jesus, he's got to be God. He cannot be, hey, well, you know, Jesus, if he were loving, he wouldn't. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where, where did I get that from? You see, Jesus, no, no way am I to say if Jesus were this, then he wouldn't. That's putting him into my box. He is Jesus. He is God. And he has led the way that he has led. And so as we're coming through this scripture, we're seeing who he is. And we're starting to understand that he is who he said he would be. And as you start to discover it, you start to understand everyone has an opinion about Jesus. But most of those opinions fall short of the biblical uh, view that we see from Jesus right here in Scripture. Everyone has an opinion. And I want to ask you today, when you consider Jesus on the back of your bulletin, there's three points I'm going to ask you to fill in. When you consider Jesus, one, are you only amazed? Like like the people there, they said that they were amazed. But many, many times, again, if you're coming to Jesus and you're amazed by one thing, but you're polarized by another thing. You see, it's like a cafeteria approach. You know, when you go to a cafeteria and you, you, you take your plate, you go down the line. Yeah, I'll take some meat. I'll take some potatoes. I'll pass on the broccoli and the peas and the carrots. I can let them for other people, right? I just let, I'm being very kind, right? And, but when somebody serves you, man, they're giving you the whole enchilada, right? You're getting the whole thing. You're, you're getting the, you're getting the broccoli. You're getting it all. It's put on your plate. And so when Jesus comes to you, he's not a cafeteria that you can just pick and choose what you want about him. See, many people are polarized by his holiness. And they see the holiness and they think, well, gee, if I have to be holy, if that's what it means, then I don't want that, Jesus. And oh, let me explain something to you. His love and his holiness work hand in hand, but they don't work the way that you think that they work. Many people think that they have to be holy to gain his love. And may I share with you something? You have to understand and accept his love first, and then he gives you his holiness. Do you see what a big difference that is? It's not, hey, I'm holy, therefore God loves me. It's no, God loves me. Therefore, whenever I trust him and I give him my heart, I recognize him for who he is. He gives me his holiness and now my life changes and he changes me from the inside out. And it's not about me earning something from God. You see, too often we're only amazed. Many people are only amazed at a certain part about Jesus Jesus came from this little town of Nazareth. Uh, as you look and you study where Jesus' upbringing, remember he was born in Bethlehem. And then uh, they had to flee Bethlehem. They went over to Egypt for about two years. And then after that, they returned. And, and from about the time he was two years on, uh, just over two years old, he's raised in this little town of Nazareth. 
Nazareth doesn't get any mention in the Old Testament. You don't find anywhere in the Old Testament the town Nazareth. You don't see it in any rabbinic literature. Uh, it just gives just a brief attention in the New Testament because it is just, just a light little touch because that's where Jesus grew up and that's all you hear about Nazareth. It's little wonder that a guy named Nathaniel came, uh, he was challenged to become a follower of Jesus. And when they challenged him to follow Jesus, they said, follow Jesus of Nazareth. And look what he says here in John 1.46. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? In other words, hey, this is just a little podunk town. It's a little nothing town. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, whenever uh, whenever I think of that, I think of Finleyville. You know, it's just this little town of Finleyville. You know, I was I was online. I saw people naming things about Finleyville, and I was like, okay, what 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 were they say about Finleyville? People were bringing up memories, and I saw one person said, oh, that's a hick town. I was like, wait a minute, I take offense to that. That's my hick town. I've been in this hick town for 25 years. What do you mean a hick town? You know, hey, listen, we still have uh, it's still just a nice little place. And so that's what Nazareth was. Nazareth was just a small little town. It was actually smaller than Finleyville. Uh, it had 150 to 200 people in it, is what most scholars think. I've seen one that said maybe as high as 500 people. It was just a small little place. There was nothing there, nothing that would grab you. So when Jesus said he was from Nazareth, hey, listen, it wasn't very much of a, uh, an exciting place. His teaching should astonish you. You know, when Jesus taught, it should astonish you. But that's not enough. And listen, if you're just amazed at the teachings of Jesus, wow, go through the Sermon on the Mount. Look how he said to handle worry. Man, if you go away and you walk away with some life principles from the teaching of Jesus about worry, you're going to be extremely happy because it's revolutionary. Nobody else has the cure for it like Jesus has. But let me tell you, if all you got was the fix for worry, you've missed it. You see, because Jesus didn't come so you could stop worrying. That's only part of the package. He came so that you could understand who he is and that he is the Messiah. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. And if he's God, what does that mean for you? Jesus left there and he goes into his own hometown. And look what happens when he came into verse two here. When, when he came into the synagogue on a Sabbath, he came to teach in the synagogue and many, they were amazed. They came to him and, and so they were amazed, but yet they still had questions. You know, they, they, they went from amazement to skepticism pretty quickly. Like, oh, this guy, it's amazing. But look, look at the questions that they lay out there in those few verses. Number one, where did he get these things from? Where's all this coming from? This is just a local guy. Uh, What is the wisdom given to him? Where is he getting this wisdom? Like that was revolutionary. It was profound. But where is he getting this? Um, How are these miracles performed? Number three, by his hands. How we see we've heard about him doing all these miracles. How how is he doing that? Uh, Isn't he the, the carpenter's son? Isn't he just the carpenter? This was just the guy who, who lived down the street from us, and he, he's just a blue-collar, hands-on kind of guy. Um, how about his, uh, his, isn't he the son of Mary? And listen, when, he, when they did that, it was a little dig. Because Mary, remember Mary was born, Mary gave birth to Jesus. Jesus was born of Mary before Mary and Joseph were married. If you didn't understand it, if you didn't understand this came from God, if you didn't understand that God placed in the virgin Jesus, then you would say, boy, that was an illegitimate child. You see, in that day, you would never say he was the son of 
and talk about his mother. You always talked about the dad. He was the son of Joseph is what you would say. Isn't this Mary's son? So, so they're throwing digs and, and it's like, oh man, you know, how can he be God? Oh, come on. He's just, he's just a neighbor kid and we don't even know who his dad is. Hmm. How about his brothers? Isn't he the brothers? Look at his brothers, James and Joseph, Judas and Simon. Like after Jesus was born, he had four other half brothers, we'll call that. These were, you know, Mary and Joseph continued to have a family after that. And so his half-brothers were James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. He had sisters, so this tells us that there were at least six brothers and sisters that he had. So, so listen, didn't he just grow up down the street here? They did not deny the amazing things he did, but they were denying who he was. And this makes their rejection all the more amazing. Uh, if he didn't get these wisdom from, and, you know, if he's not God and it didn't come from God, then they left the question open and they simply took offense to him. You know, today some people will chalk up these things to, you know, Jesus' teaching to he was a really good teacher. And I've heard many people, if you ask them, who is Jesus? Like if you want to find the defining question and you're talking to somebody, ask them, who do they think Jesus is? Uh, many people will tell you he was a good teacher. But if he's God, it's a different story. And he's God. Um, his miracles, his miracles preceded him. You know, if his miracles captivate you, um, that's still not enough. I want you to think of the miracles that we've looked at over the last few weeks. We've gone from uh, Mark chapter 1 up through chapter 6. And in these few chapters, we have seen miracle after miracle. It started out with Peter's mother-in-law was healed. He cast out a demon. Um, uh, many miracles in Capernaum. There were a lot of people standing. Remember, night and day they were coming to him. A leper was healed. A paralyzed man was healed. Um, a man with a, a withered hand was, uh, the deformed hand was healed. Uh, there were many, again, it continues on, it says that many more were healed. There was the storm in the sea that he calmed. There was the, the demoniac that we looked at last week from, uh, from Gerasene. There was the woman who bled for 12 years. There was Jairus' daughter that was raised to life. So b- before he gets there, the word is out that this guy's doing these crazy miracles. Like, these are incredible. And folks, may I share with you today that, that, that miracles in and of themselves can't produce faith. This is a hometown. This hometown comes and they deny who he is, even though they know about his miracles. They simply cannot reconcile what he has done with who he must be. And it's as if they're saying, oh, this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Like, like we've heard about this all of our life. We're waiting for the rescue of Israel. And yet here he is. He was a kid that was living down the street. Uh, he, he was uh, he was a tecton. That that word there for carpenter is a, is tecton. It means that he worked with wood, with stone, with metal. Him and his dad would go out and they would make things for local farmers. They would make yoke and plows for the local farmers. They they would also go out and they would help other people in their town. And and I want you to think about Jesus coming along and being the person who comes along and, and is working alongside of you. Uh, you're adding a deck on. You're, you're putting on, a, adding on to your house or something. And Jesus comes over and he's got his hammer. He's got his nails and he's helping to build. So whenever they saw him growing up like this, now they're saying, wait, who is this? Who is this man that talks like this now? Like this is the guy who we saw. And he isn't he just a carpenter? You know, many people have seen the hand of God. They've seen miracles, but it hasn't brought them to God. 
I was with somebody not terribly long ago, and a, a good friend of theirs asked him, said, Hey, what would it take for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Not just to believe that God is alive, but to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What would it take for you to become a follower of Jesus Christ? And, uh, and this fellow, this person actually responded, said to, in so many words or less, basically, a miracle. And they talked about a particular miracle that would have to happen. And, th- and this person said, if that were to happen, would you become a follower of Jesus? And this person responded and said, well, maybe. And I'll tell you what, folks, a miracle doesn't produce faith. It's whenever we see Christ through the eyes of faith that God can continue to do his work in our life. His background will not impress you. Oh, my goodness. Isn't this just the carpenter? Isn't this just who he is? And, and you go through and you look at all these things. You know, here was Mary's family, uh, Mary and Joseph with their other kids, James and Joseph. James is also known as Jacob in, in the Greek there. It goes back and forth. But uh, listen, James and Joseph, they were named after patriarchs. Um, Judas and Simon, they were named after Jewish revolutionaries. This family was ready for the rescue of Israel, and yet they had it in Jesus, the number one child in the family, and their town missed it. As a matter of fact, you know, James didn't believe that he was really God until he rose from the dead. James was the most skeptical of all of them. He was, you know, wouldn't you be skeptical if your brother said he was God? You know, could you could you imagine? Hey, hey, mom, you'll never guess what what, what what your oldest son did today. He turned water into wine. I was at this wedding. I can't believe he did that. What's he doing? Uh, you know, he healed this leper. And, and now, if that's not enough, mom, he's telling people that he's God. And that's what it was like. And they were blown away. You know, what would it take for your brother to convince you that that he was God? <laughs> it would take a whole lot, wouldn't it? And yet Jesus lived this perfect life in front of them. And they didn't catch it till Jesus rose from the dead. But after Jesus rose from the dead, James becomes the number one follower of Jesus Christ. He leads the church at Jerusalem. And he ends up writing part of Scripture. We have the book of James. It's four of the toughest chapters in all the Bible. Because he talks about faith and works. How that the two go hand in hand. You don't work your way to God, but you have to have faith. And if you don't have faith, if, you're, if you have faith, you're going to show something in your life. And so he goes through this extremely big deal there. Why? Because once he understood that he is really God, he sold out to him. But at this point, the town is saying, man, we're taking offense to him. They're taking the cheap shots at him. And I like what, what, the, what Publius the Syrian said this in 2 BC. He said, familiarity breeds contempt. Would you read that with me? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, when you're extremely familiar with something, you just kind of take it for granted. You kind of, you don't even really pay attention to it anymore. It just becomes, ah. You know, it's like going to the grocery store. You live a mile from the grocery store. You jump in the car and you don't put your seatbelt on anymore. You're so familiar with the routine. Yeah, nothing bad will ever happen. You have one accident, you put that seatbelt on the rest of your life. But, but until then, familiarity breeds contempt, right? So, so let me show you here what happened here. Over in Luke chapter 4, Luke, Dr. Luke gives us an account of whenever Jesus went into Nazareth. Some scholars believe it's the same, same story that Mark is giving to us with greater detail. Other scholars believe that Jesus made multiple trips back to Nazareth to his hometown. Either case, let's look at this here. 
Luke chapter 4, 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him, his word spreading. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Now, folks, I want to encourage you with this thought here today. This is just a little side note here. Jesus went into the synagogue, as was his custom, every week. That's what he did. He made it part of his habit. It was his lifestyle. He went into the Sabbath, as was his custom, into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And I want to encourage you. You're here today. Thanks be to God. This is your custom. I want to encourage you, do not sacrifice this custom. Do not sacrifice what we are doing here for anything else. You know, it's so easy. We live in a world that says, hey, listen, you know what? Whenever it's just it's just 10 or 12 weeks, you'll come back to church. Well, let me tell you what, 10 or 12 weeks, you're not coming back. It's easy for you to to just let that become a new custom. Well, um, you can have the custom of going to breakfast on Sunday morning instead of going to church, instead of gathering, or Saturday night. We have Saturday night service at 6. We have Sunday at 9, 30, 11. We make all these opportunities so that you can encourage your faith. And, folks, it's more than just hearing a sermon. It's being with the family of God. And I want to encourage you, you need the family of God. I need the family of God. When we are together here on Sunday, I am so encouraged by you. I see the body of Christ operating and functioning. I see people serving. I see people giving. I see people worshiping the Lord. And there's something that that happens when you gather together like this. And so Jesus, he went in on the Sabbath day, as was his custom, into the synagogue. And he returns back to Nazareth. And I want you to catch this, because as he walks down the aisle of the synagogue, he has all these memories. Like, huh, yeah, this is where mom and dad used to sit over here. I, I sat over there where mom and dad were sitting. And, 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 and yeah, up until I was 12, until I, had to, until I reached adult status, I had to sit over there. And then I started sitting over here. Oh, yeah, over here. This is the place where they thought I was passing notes, but it wasn't me. You know, Jesus wouldn't be passing notes in church. He was paying attention, right? Yeah, so I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so he remembers all those things. It'd be like you and I walking in. Imagine going back. You know, like for me, this is the place where I grew up. Every now and then I'll come in here and I'll have memories. I, I remember when this was all orange, burnt orange pews in here. They were the ugliest things. I don't know what 70s was all about, but the, everything was orange in the 70s. And uh, they were just nasty, but they were ours. They were paid for. It was wonderful. And, and so I remember coming in, and, and I would say, yeah, I have these memories all over. I remember Matt and Helen Pettigrew used to sit right down there where Dan McNeese sits every week. No, you took, Dan, you took Matt's place, Dan. Big shoes to fill. But he used to sit down there. And it wasn't a science. He's just where the guy always came in. And he'd walk down there. I, I remember Lois Vandermeer over there. I remember Jack Vandermeer in the parking lot. You, you have all these memories of people that you've seen all, all of your life. And, and, and you're walking in. And so Jesus is walking in. He's having all these flashbacks. And the people all remember him too. They remember him sitting with his mommy. They remember him over here. They remember him and his dad coming to fix their house. And he comes in and he worships as is his custom. Don't give up the custom, folks. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. You, you know, today we have this wonderful privilege. We have the entire word of God. And we put it under our arm. And we can take it anywhere we want. 
And, and when we leave today, you're going to take your copy with you. You have it on your phone. You have it on your iPad. You have it everywhere. It's incredible. But in the time of Jesus, number one, the New Testament wasn't written yet. We're watching it being made. Uh, we're watching this unfold. Number two, all they have is the Old Testament, and they were scrolls, and they couldn't take it home. So you went into the synagogue, and they would publicly read it. There were no verses and chapters marked. We, we, we put markings. The, the chapters and the verses are our markings so that we can all identify where to go to. But at that time, Jesus had to open a scroll. So they hand him the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus is on the scene now about to teach. And so it says that unrolling it. So I want you to imagine him. He takes the scroll. There's no numbers. There's no verses on it for him to check. So he, he's going through because he knows the scripture. Like he understood the scripture. So he, he scrolls it and he gets down to this verse. The spirit of the Lord is on me, he reads. Because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the captive, for the prisoners, and to recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down, and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And so as he's done, as he's done this, Man, what he did was he, he made a pretty big distinction here. The, the people of Israel, they thought that was pertaining to the return from the Babylonian exile. That all this joy, and you know, there's like four chapters right around that area in, in, uh, in the book of Isaiah. And as you go back, you read that in the book of Isaiah, there's four chapters talking about all this great joy. And they're like, man, it mustn't have been the Babylonian exile. What is it? Look what Jesus says. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. They knew it wasn't the exile because they saw it was terrible. But when Jesus stood up and said, whoa, that scripture was talking about me. Whoa, this was the dividing factor because it now meant that he's God. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that he came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they ask? All right, here we go with the skepticism. So Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard that you did, uh, what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continues, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. So the prophet's not accepted when he comes home. He knows they have no faith. They're not accepting him as Jesus, as God. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the sky was shut up for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the, in the region of Sidon. So, going out to the Gentiles. So there was the Jews, and then there was a believer out in the Gentiles. So God sends them out. Yet Elijah, let's see here, and there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So, oh, here's somebody that was another non-Israelite. And all the people in the synagogue became furious when they heard this. Because what Jesus was saying was, listen, if you don't have faith, God is going to go and he's going to let anybody Come to him. He's not going to wait around for you all day. Jesus is going to go to the next town, as we saw in Mark's account. Hmm. 
they got up, they drove him out of the town and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So they're ready to kill him and they throw Jesus, they're ready to throw Jesus off the cliff because if he is really God, if they think he's God, then I've got a problem with that because that means that I have got to surrender to who he is. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Kind of reminds me of a Western, doesn't it? You? Yeah. Here they come. They're about ready to kill him. And it's like, ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Jesus goes walking in 12 little shadows right behind him. Like, how did he do that? Like, how did, how did, you know, they're ready to kill him already. And and he goes walking right away. Listen, folks, miracles do not produce faith. Stop looking for a miracle and start looking for Jesus. Ask God for faith. Faith is what you need in your life. Too many times we say, God, you know, how many times have you made a deal with God? Lord, if you'll just get me through this, I promise you I'll go to church the rest of my life. Six months later, you're like, God, do I have to go? Yeah, uh, You make deals with God. Lord, if, if you do this, then I'll do that. And I'm telling you, listen, you don't need miracles. You need Jesus. Number two, I want to ask you, when you consider Jesus, are you offended? Are you only amazed? So that's one, one option. You can be only amazed and say he's not God. Or you can be offended. Not everyone will respond to Jesus in the same way. Look what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. A stumbling block. Did you catch that? Jesus is offensive to those that are not willing to name him as God. As omnipotent, as all-powerful, as sovereign, as the only way. He's offensive to the Jews. To the Gentiles, he's foolishness. You know what the Gentiles did? They said, you can worship whoever you want, just don't bother me. There's all the Greek mythological gods. Oh, you want to add Jesus onto that? Do whatever you want. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody gets to God except through me. Wow. You see, you can be, in spite of clear evidence, you can reject him. These people, they had all the evidence. They saw the miracles. They saw, they watched him growing up, and yet they're saying, this can't be, this cannot be. As a matter of fact, that word offense, and go back to Mark 6, 3, the word there, it says that they took offense to him. That word offense in the Greek is the same word that we get the word scandal from. They were scandalized. They said, no, there's no way that this can be true. So in spite of overwhelming evidence, you could still easily not believe. In spite of close proximity, you couldn't dishonor. Listen, these people came and they were in close proximity. And this prophet was without honor in his own town. Verse 4, Jesus came and he told them that a prophet is without honor. These people that knew him the most. And listen, for many of you in here, you have grown up in church. And he's been very familiar to you. And I want to ask you, do not let him be over familiar that you breed contempt. Do not let Jesus become such a familiar thing that you lose his power. 
Jesus was so powerful. People, he, they were attracted to him. And, and you said, but listen, I'm upset because I'm not getting the miracle done in my life. I want to encourage you today. Could it be because you're not honoring him? Could it be, could it be because that God has another plan for your life? Because he doesn't do what you want him to do when you think he should do does not make him not God and does not mean that you should not seek his power anymore either. Folks, I have to seek the power of God Almighty every day. Every day. There's not a day goes by that I don't ask God for his power and his strength and his wisdom. Number three in your notes, when you consider Jesus, are you guilty of unbelief? Are you guilty of just saying, well, I'm going to dismiss that. I, there's just no way. You know, unbelief was the only thing that limits Jesus. There's only one thing that limits Jesus, and that's unbelief. He could do, verse 5 says that he could do any, he could not do any miracles there. Like, I mean, he's God. He has the power. He can do anything he wants. But because of their unbelief, he said that he couldn't do it. He had a spiritual and a moral constraint to not reveal his power without faith. He laid hands on a few sick people. But imagine what could have happened in the town of Nazareth. They saw him all of his life. I want to encourage you to come to Jesus like Jairus did. Jairus was broken and everything was destroyed. And his daughter died and he still hung on. And he said, I'm going to have faith. That's what God's calling us to do. How about the lady with the issue of blood? She came out and she publicly proclaimed this Jesus because that's what he said. Listen, follow me. Follow me. Don't just believe up here. I want you to follow with every ounce of your being. I like what Tim Keller says. Tim, Timothy Keller says this. He says, Jesus' miracles were not magic tricks designed to prove how powerful he was. But they were signs of the kingdom to show his, how his redemptive power operates. His miracles always healed and restored and delivered people in ways that revealed how we are to find him by faith and have our lives transformed by him. He could not do a deed that would not redeem. Everything about Jesus was redemption. So whenever he came and he did a miracle, it was showing his redemption, showing how that your faith. Remember, he told the lady, your faith has made you whole today. It was faith in Jesus, faith that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he's the good news. And I, I want to take you over here to Hebrews eleven six. Check this out. The same is true for you today, for me today. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you realize if we don't have faith, God can't move in your life? He can't do what he really wants to do in your life without faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. How many times have I had somebody say, well, if God did this, then I would believe in him. God says it's the other way around. You must believe that I exist. And that he rewards those who seek him. You know, if you seek him with all of your heart, not just when it's convenient. Earnestly. I like that word. It's earnest. Like you're passionate. You're giving your heart and soul. He says that he rewards. And it's not like, hey, I earned this. Therefore, I get a reward. That's the American way. You know, I ran the race. I finish first, I get the first place price. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying that there's benefits. Oh, I love this. If you get a job, 
Before you take the job, you ask them, what are the benefits? Well, you get to go home at 4 o'clock every other Friday. Are there anything else? No. Okay. Do you offer health care? No. Do you offer vacation time? No. I only want a month off a year. No. You walk away because the benefits aren't there. Well, let me share you this. With Jesus, he says that we must believe, first of all, that he exists. And that he has benefits for those who earnestly seek him. And I'll tell you what, the benefits are not necessarily what you're desiring, what you're looking for, and how you would do it. But they are according to his plan and his will. And he has benefits for those who earnestly seek him. Unbelief is one thing that amazes Jesus. You know, in our passage today, it says that he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. We'll put that up there, verse 6. We'll jump to verse 6 there. He was amazed at their lack of faith. There's only two times that you see Jesus was amazed. One time was over in the book of Luke. He was amazed because somebody did have faith. It was a, it was a centurion. And he says that he was amazed and, and he turned to the crowd and said, I tell you that I have not seen anybody with such great faith. And it was a centurion who was not even of the foundation of the Jewish faith at that time. And he f- trusted Jesus in his faith. Jesus said he was amazed. And now over here in Mark 6, this is the only other time Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. And what did he do? He started to go off to other villages. I like what Phillips Brooks, a preacher in the 1800s, said it like this. He said, yeah, familiarity breeds contempt, but only with contemptible things or among contemptible people. You see, the problem in Nazareth was not Jesus. Jesus was not contemptible. It was the people. And familiarity breeds contempt among contemptible people. The contempt shown by the citizens of Nazareth said nothing about Jesus. It said everything about the people. And so today, maybe there's things that you're having contemptible with Jesus. Or maybe you're scandalized by the simplicity of the gospel. Maybe you're scandalized by his grace. Maybe you're scandalized by any number of things and you're over familiar with it. But listen... I want to encourage you today, don't let Jesus become so familiar that he has no power in your life anymore. Don't walk away from him in unbelief. If you're struggling with belief, I want to encourage you, keep coming back for more. Keep coming back for more. God will produce this faith in your life. We must not come to Jesus on our terms, but on his terms. We need to make, we, we need to make sure we don't make the same mistake that the people of Nazareth did. The consequences are eternal. And I want to encourage you today. This is Jesus. Oh, we like when we hear about the love. We get afraid when we hear about the holiness. And here's the answer. Receive his love. Let him produce the holiness in you. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed today, I want to invite you to Jesus. Would you just take a moment and respond to him? What he's done for you. He, he came and he died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. I want to invite you to Christ today. Would you surrender to him? 
It's not about your way. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you think or feel. He's God. And he says, listen, surrender to me and I'll take care of all that. And maybe the problem has been that you're contemptible. Maybe it's not Jesus. It's, it's you. And God says, listen, surrender to me and I'll take care of that. Why don't you just meet with God for a few moments here this morning. Call on Him and have a little talk with Jesus. Dear God, we come before you. We confess today, Lord, that there are times that we are offended by you. There are times that we are amazed by you. There are times that we simply don't believe. God, I pray today that as our family here on the hill, our community that are hearing and listening online and throughout this town, Lord, as they hear about the great Jesus, about who you are and and the fact that you are God. You didn't just come from God, that you are God. You've asked us to surrender. You said if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and will believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, then we'll be saved from the punishment of our sin. Dear God, we come before you today and I ask you to change us. God, for each one that's struggling with a decision, Lord, some are struggling with your holiness. Some are struggling with your love. Some are struggling with your timing. Lord, we struggle with so much of who you are because we can't manage you. You are power. So, Lord, we want that power in our life. We're just afraid, Lord. And you said the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, God, we put this whole package together today and we say, Lord, we're going to follow you. We're afraid. We don't understand, but we're going to trust you with the rest of our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. I want to encourage you to stop by the table out there and grab one of Daniel and Rebecca's prayer cards. We, we want to pray for them. God bless you. You are dismissed, and we'll see you next Sunday, the 4th of July. We are open, and we are running normal schedules, so we will be here. You can light off your fireworks in the parking lot. Have a good day. God bless. Let this dark room in silence fuel imagination. Tonight the stars shine bright and spell my name. chill blows away and bonfire fire warms my heart under the night sky